0: Isaiah chapter nine verse two and six and seven. Let me go ahead and read God's word for us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there would be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let's pray and dive into god's word for us this morning Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, Thank you for calling us to worship you. Thank you for gathering us in your house uh, so we may uh, hear from you, receive from you uh, the good news. And uh, let this season be really about that, about uh, diving deeper, understanding more more deeply uh, your gospel and uh, the the true therefore meaning of this season. Would you help us, would you guide us and um, cut through all the noises and and speak your words of truth uh, into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're getting ready for uh, Christmas, and that's, in a sense, what Advent means. Uh, It's from the Latin Adventus. It's That's a bad pronunciation of uh, arrival or or, or coming of something in Latin. Um, Traditionally, Advent is the season when you look back on the first coming of the Messiah, and, and you also take this time to look forward to uh, the second coming of the Messiah as well. Um, and I didn't notice, but I recently learned that uh, some of these carols that we sing for Christmas, like Joy to the World, was written not in view of the first coming of Christ, but actually in view of the second coming of Christ. Uh, nor more let sin and sorrow grow, nor, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. That's actually uh, in view of Christ's second coming. More, more so in view of what we're learning in Revelation than what we read in the first chapters of the Gospels. And then, and then when we come to Christmas Day, traditionally that's December 25th, and that's technically the first day of Christmas, and we begin the, the traditionally the 12th days of celebrating the Incarnation. So there are 12 days of Christmas, Christmas Day being the first day. So technically Christmas lasts until uh, like January 5th. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm milking that. I'm going to celebrate Christmas until way into January um, with my family. Um, however we observe Christmas, though, to really observe it meaningfully, I think you really have to observe uh, Advent, uh, meaningfully, um, up until the first day of Christmas. And that's why we're doing this sort of mini-series uh, in this month of December, to to prepare us appropriately for this proper celebration of Christmas. And in many ways, right, our, our preparations have already begun. Um, our design team just did an amazing job with our lobby and, and our chapel with the Christmas designs. And you're, you're beginning to do things like that in your home. You're putting up Christmas trees, you're hanging up ornaments and and hanging up the lights. right? And that's one very... Um, uh, Prominent sign of uh, Christmas uh, drawing near. It's it's the presence of the lights, all these lights uh, around us, um, like the song says, right? Take a look at the five and ten. It's glistening once again with candy canes and silver lanes aglow, right? Uh, things are glistening, things are glowing, and that's why it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Um, but to but to really celebrate Christmas, right? We do have to go. Beyond or behind these symbols of Christmas, don't we? Uh, these lights that symbolize uh, the meaning of Christmas. Uh, because the, the point of symbols is to point to the real thing, right? And and if the Christmas trees and ornaments and, and gifts and the millions of lights are mere symbols, the question we have to ask is okay, what is what is the real thing? and more importantly perhaps uh, are we actually how do we know we're actually celebrating the real thing and not just celebrating the symbols indulging in the symbols uh, but using it as a means of tapping into the real thing how do we know that so so what would be the the truest and fullest celebration of christmas how do we really celebrate christmas and not the symbols of christmas how do we celebrate christmas and not just the symbols Of Christmas put differently slightly differently according to the passage what is the meaning of the original light that all these smaller lights point to what is the original capital L light that all these little lights point to Uh, if we answer that I think then we get to how we truly celebrate Christmas and not just the symbols of Christmas Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that he believes in Christianity similar to the way he believes in the sun uh sun in the the sky, not because he can see it, but because by it he can see all other things. Uh, In the same way, um, Christ is given to us, presented to us in the scriptures as this light uh, by which we can see everything else in life, things like uh, our true meaning, our true purpose, our true origin, and our destination. And without him, therefore, the, the implication is without him, you're in the dark with regards to these things. Uh, without this light, you're in the dark as to what your meaning is, what your purpose is, what your origin is, what your destination is. You're a little aimless. Well, very aimless. Uh, you're, like a, you're like driving without headlights in the dark. You're 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 wandering in in a in a pitch-dark room, as it were. So then the the, the, the thing that we really need in our lives then is this this light by which we see other things now the natural question though is are we really living in the dark um, why think such a bleak thought during the most wonderful time of the year um, are we actually living in the dark and that that's that's important to ask and and answer because that's essential to 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 understanding the meaning of the light is is understanding and believing. There's actually a darkness here, um, so that will be our first point: the meaning of the darkness or the presence of the darkness. Because we without it, with, without it, we won't understand the meaning of the light, and that will be the second point: what is the meaning of the light? And the last point will be: what is the meaning of then receiving this light for ourselves, for our loved ones? Okay, the meaning of darkness, the meaning of light and the meaning of receiving this light. This would be our our three points for today. So first, the meaning of the darkness. Uh, Biblically, darkness means two things. One, it's evil and brokenness and fallenness and sin that's external to us in the world. Secondly, it's evil and brokenness and fallenness and sin that's internal to us, that's found within us and our lives. Uh, so when you look out into the world today it's not unnatural for you to look around the world and be able to say the world is not the way it's supposed to be and it's not unnatural for you to look within yourself within your own heart within your own lives and be able to say i am not the way i'm supposed to be my life is not the way it is uh, supposed to be Uh, and so this kind of Evil, brokenness, fallenness, sinfulness all around us and in us is what scriptures mean by darkness. And so consistent with that in verse 2 in our passage today, there's a description of both a people and a land, right? And they're both in the dark. Um, People living in darkness, a land of darkness. Both are engulfed by darkness. And and by that, scripture means uh, both have deviated from God's original creative purpose. And it says here that people have walked in darkness. And it means they, they, they're they not just in the darkness. They, they walk in it. They live in it. It's become their way of life. Right? Um, they don't see a way out. This is, this is the only way of life they know. And so living in this state of darkness. And maybe perhaps you'll get around to deflecting it, distracting yourself from it, forgetting about it. But you're, you're nevertheless living in it. That has become the norm. Okay. Uh, now, is that true? Can we verify that? That, uh, that we are still living in, in such a state of hopelessness and darkness and aimlessness and meaninglessness, as Isaiah says. Um, well, if you think about the, the state of the world when Jesus was born, uh, think about his context. He was born into a world that was filled with violence, injustice, oppression, homelessness, Refugee crisis, families being ripped apart, racial injustice, economic injustice, abuse of power. Uh, question is, are these things that ancient? Or or when we turn on the news, do we not see these things today? Are these things that outdated, or are they very present in our lives today? Um and if you're wondering, but hasn't civilization advanced? Hasn- hasn't science and technology made improvements to our world? Um, well, it depends, on, it, it, it depends on what you mean by improvements. Uh, we have improved materially. We have improved uh, medicinally, uh, med- medically. Um, we have improved in a more convenient way of life. But have we improved uh, societally, relationally, mentally, emotionally? Uh, short answer is no. Uh, APA, the American Psychological Association, they they put out this famous finding um, some years ago that school children in the 2000s reported more anxiety, higher level of anxiety than the psychiatric patients of the 50s and 60s, right? You you understand that? The the school children of the 2000s, right? Higher level of anxiety than the hospitalized psychiatric patients of the 50s and 60s. Uh, a more recent study shows that uh, in, in 2021, uh, level of anxiety has increased globally uh, among women 30% and among men 25%. And by the way, there's also uh, numbers showing uh, consumerism rose, increased around that same period of time as well, right? So along with increase in consumerism uh, and spending, right, increase. In anxiety, not not reducing of our anxiety. If science is the spokesperson here, the the answer is pretty seems pretty clear. Things are not getting better. If anything, they're getting worse. Um, and if you were to continue to turn to science alone uh, to be sort of mankind's best hope, um, the jury's done deliberating on that. The verdict is already out. It, it's similar to what we've been learning in our series in Revelation. the The, the final verdict is total hopelessness and darkness all around, not just Earth, but the cosmos. Um, I was just reading an article on astronomy.com. It's just something I do once in a while. right? Don't judge me. Um, there's, there's an article there titled The Beginning to the End of the Universe. I came out just a couple months ago, and, and this quote really stood out to me, so I just want to share it with you. Quote, Until rather recently, astronomers thought the cosmos would repeatedly expand and collapse in an infinite cycle of cosmic death and rebirth, but the best evidence points to a distant Armageddon filled with more existential dread than the Book of Revelation. Trillions of years in the future, long after Earth is destroyed, the universe will drift apart until galaxy and star formation ceases. Slowly, stars will fizzle out, turning night skies black. All lingering matter will be gobbled up by black holes until there's nothing left. Uh, hopelessness, darkness, total darkness, not just over the land, the whole cosmos. That's the scientific vision of the end of the world. Uh, cosmologically, that's, that's our destiny. Uh, biologically speaking, science isn't that helpful either. Um, you are sci- purely, materially, scientifically speaking, you are, uh, well, first, you're an animal. That's all that you are. And plus, uh, you are an accidental byproduct of a purposeless evolution. And just as you came from nothing, therefore meaninglessly, you return to nothing, meaninglessly. And and all that you think are are meaningful, like true and meaningful and good, like justice and morality and true love and free will and heroism and things like that. These are myths. These are tall tales. Chemical reactions in the brain to trick you into thinking that these are worth living for just to, just to give you a few more productive years of survival. But in the end, it's all a charade. It's all an accident. It's all just atoms bouncing around without without purpose. And if, so if you were to pop the hood and look under the hood of humanity, there's nothing there. Um, so the even the, the deep existential angst in you that says, things are not the way they're supposed to be, I'm not the way they're supposed to be, that's a myth because everything is a part of nature. It's there for natural And according to science, uh, because it's a part of nature, it, it makes no sense for you to defy it or resist it. You should embrace it. It's all part of original nature. Now, it's the Bible that says, "No, that's not a part of original nature. This, all this darkness you see, is something, something wicked and evil and corrupt, covering original nature. It's a dark veil covering." nature, covering true reality, covering the myths, true myths that you believe in, morality, justice, love, heroism, meaning and purpose, and all these things. But to live in the darkness, right, to walk in it, is either uh, to to live as though, yeah, we're just mere animals, we're just striving for survival, and um, these myths are mythical, we don't have to live for these values, um, we're, we're here temporarily, we're disappearing forever, so just... Basically, um, live selfishly, live however you want. Or, on the other hand, to live in the darkness could also look like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live meaningfully, I'm going to live as if these things are, are meaningful and truthful, knowing, and at the end of the day, it's all going to be meaningless. Knowing at the end of the day, we're all fertilizers. Uh, but I'm going to just choose to right, resist that and pretend to live with meaning. So you have, in darkness, on the one hand, hard pessimism. On the other hand, naive idealism. It's pessimism or idealism. That's that's living in the darkness. Um, An interesting thing is, this is the context that comes right alongside the Christmas story. You have to understand that. The context of Christmas is people living in this kind of darkness, living in either hard pessimism or naive idealism apart from God. That's the back story to the story of Christmas. And so, we've got to understand this. Uh, This means that when Christians um, celebrate Christmas, the context of that is neither uh, naive idealism, right? Uh, The world is crazy dark out there, but I'm just going to deflect that and just distract myself with some Christmas trees and gifts and lights. Or hard uh, pessimism. Well, it's Christmas. It's over-commercialized. I don't, you know, and and, and the world is a dark place and nobody cares. So, I'm just going to be depressed. It's neither of these. Um, the Christian's message, the Christian message of Christmas, is this: Yes, we do feel that the world is totally broken. Uh, we do feel that the shadows deepen, uh, and science hasn't helped. But we also believe that all the dark will not stop this light, capital L light, from getting through and reaching us. Meaning, there's hope for our utterly broken world of darkness there's light in our darkness because here's a prophecy the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown so notice here uh, it doesn't say from within ourselves we're going to discover a light or from the land will spring up some some light some last hope for humanity. It says the light is shown upon them, on them, from the outside. Our hope comes from the outside into the darkness, and that's the light. We have to look outside of ourselves. We have to look outside even of our world to find a way out of living in the dark, living in naive idealism or hard pessimism. We need this light to get out of that. Okay, what is this light? That's the second point. What does this light mean? Uh, one of the ways that biblical literature uses uh, light as a symbol is by using sunlight. Uh, and it gives us, therefore, right this visible light that shines the path, the path we should walk, show us where we're meant to be going, but also kind of this life-giving, sort of biological light as well, that uh, light that yields life, um, yields warmth, yields uh, nourishment. And that's that's... Uh, the light of life is what John calls um, the Messiah in, in, in the Gospel of John. And so um, this means, if you apply that symbolism to the, the land of darkness then, uh, when this light enters in, that means to a life of purposelessness and aimlessness enters in direction and purpose and meaning. Uh, to a, a sad and anxious and hopeless people, peace and, and comfort enter in. Uh, to a dying and decaying body comes this message of resurrection. Uh, to a dying and decaying environment comes this message of recreation and restoration. And The question is, okay, how is this kind of recreation and restoration possible? Um, what is this life? What does it mean? What is it, how does it do this? Verse 6 begins to tell us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The, the hope of the world will come to us, according to Isaiah's prophecy, in the form of a little baby boy. Uh, but not merely born as a boy, but born to be given to us. Given to you like a gift, as it were. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting father here that means creator or the originator and prince of peace these are four names that were only given to God uniquely uh, singularly God the Almighty and no one else and, and it's therefore referring to uh, one of the persons of the Triune Godhead who then who then is sent in or, or, or given to us this this son this child who is born is equal in substance and power with God he is. He is divine. He is God Himself, now incarnate, now born. As one of us. That's the meaning of the light. No other religion says that's the light, right? The every every other form of enlightenment says you know the light is something that just you awaken in you, right? And, and then you and then you you have to manifest it or you have to make it come to become reality. No, here it's entirely from outside of us. Um, it's God himself descending upon us as light, as and light embodied in human flesh. No other religion says this. God Almighty, the highest of, of, of beings, the light of the world, entering into the land of darkness to be with a people walking in darkness alongside them. So what this immediately tells us, for one, is this is not a God who will then preach to us some kind of naive idealism saying, you know, climb up to where I'm at. Just get your act together. Right, help yourself so I can help you uh, and, and strive to live a perfectly moral life as if that's possible. Nor is he a God who preaches pessimism. Uh, you'll never be morally perfect. You'll never climb up to where I'm at. So all that's left for you is condemnation and judgment. That's all you deserve, all you will ever get. It's all you can ever expect. This is a God who preaches the gospel, the good news. He says, I will climb down to where you are, rather than asking you to climb up to where I'm at. I will climb down to where you are, into your world of evil and suffering, and I will live a perfectly moral life for you. And, And so that... The, the darkness will not consume you, but all those who put their trust in me, they will be saved as I conquer this darkness. Uh, he is perfectly, on the one hand, aware of our evil and suffering and brokenness. On the other hand, he is not turned off by us, but he comes to us to save us and rescue us. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, the, the English poet and writer, she put it like this. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worth while. And this is why he's called, on the one hand, uh, Prince of Peace, incredibly powerful, but a wonderful counselor, um, someone who you would draw near to, and then the power doesn't, his power doesn't uh, threaten you to the point of turning you away from him. But he draws you near to him. He's both. He's the Prince of Peace. He, he's he's a powerful king who makes peace with his with his rebels, and and therefore. Uh, we can actually submit ourselves to him and take part in his kingdom. He's not just wonderful. He's a wonderful prince, and he oversees this government of peace, it says. And so, you know, normally when you, when you find something wonderful and beautiful, you would want to do more than just nod your head and say, oh, that's wonderful and beautiful. But you will also want to see if you can just take part in that somehow, uh, have a claim on that somehow whether it's attending a concert um, whether it's um, uh, buying a buying a souvenir of that of that beautiful place you want you want a piece of it <laughs> you want to take part in it and here you can by coming under his rule by surrendering to his kingdom his his authority uh, our culture tends to think you know if it's um, if it's something powerful then it's a threat uh, if Stay away, you know, because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right, that's the truism. But here you have, well, on the other hand, you also have. If if you're really wonderful, you're you're kind and you're meek and you're you're approachable, then you're not powerful, right? So it's either you're powerful or you're wonderful, but you can't be both. In Christ, we have someone who is both. Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. And he draws therefore his people to himself. He he captivates them by, by his beauty. And, and his wonder, and that's why in, in verse seven it says, "Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth and for evermore." Okay, um, okay. Let's pause here and consider just okay, what does it mean then to uh, see this light entered into darkness as now this this prince of peace, this king? Well, it means that. Uh, uh, this person is not this person is not entered into this has not entered into this world just to be sort of our emergency 911 call when we're in trouble. Or um, this person didn't enter into this world just to be this very tender and mild religious image that means God is a nice man. Uh, the reason why he entered into this world is to reign as king. And the only way you can relate to him is if you surrender to him. As your king, he's not here to uh, help you live a more successful life that you will be pleased with. He's here to rule over you, to overcome your darkness and the darkness of the world that you live in. He's here to be king. And that's the only way um, people living in the land of darkness, people who are in the darkness, can relate to him. Um, Isaiah doesn't tell us this here, but later on in Isaiah 53, it tells us that. Uh, he does this he he overcomes the dark and he captivates his people draws his people to himself by showing them uh, powerfully and and mightily his grace uh, by dying laying his life down on the cross he shows us that he intends to rule over us not just by bossing over us with power but by showing us how powerfully gracious He is, how powerfully loving He is, how powerfully uh, enduring He is, even with sinners. So here, we begin to then kind of cross over to, okay, if that's the meaning of the light, what does it mean to receive Him? Um, that's a very important implication, you have to understand. It's like receiving any gift, or appreciating any gift, or, uh, what, what does it imply when you receive a gift and you, you really appreciate it? It means you sense that you need it. The gifts that we don't appreciate are the ones that we feel like, you know, I have five of those at home. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I sometimes, I, you know, I have this is the uh, minus of having a lot of pastor friends. If there's like a really popular, good Christian book, that's been published, everybody gives you that book. So there's actually a book like that I have five copies of on my shelf and I'm just hoping nothing in my mail will further increase that collection of books. Um, you, When you appreciate something genuinely from the bottom of your heart, it's because there's a deficit of it, right? You don't have it. You don't have an abundance of it. Uh, you have to understand the meaning of receiving the light and appreciating therefore the light implies you understand your deficit of it Uh, my dad a few years ago he visited me and my family here from korea and just before he flew back he uh wanted to give me a very special gift so i was excited and um, we went out and he said okay pull over in here and then we somehow pulled over to an la fitness and uh we went inside and we sat down with one of the fitness trainers And then my dad then proceeded to sign me up for a one-year membership at the LA Fitness. And he said, this is my gift to you. You're welcome. Uh, You know where I'm going with this. What is the implication of him giving me a one-year gym membership at LA Fitness? What is he implying? You're, You're out of shape. You're weak. You need help is what he is implying. Now, um, to be honest with you, my reaction to that was receiving it with gladness. And what does that imply when I receive that with thanks and appreciation? It implies, yes, Father, (laughs) I am out of shape. Indeed, I am weak, and I need help. So then, this poses to us, a challenge in receiving the gift of the Son and the gift of God's grace, doesn't it? Because what does that imply about you and me? That you're out of shape. You're weak. and You're helpless. Apart from this grace. Did you know that celebrating Christmas means this? That... That you are so you are so hopelessly lost in sin. That without the death of this Son of God, born into humanity, His death on the cross for you, you will never overcome sin. You will never not even partially, gradually, progressively. You will never overcome sin, but you will live in that darkness forever. And that that gift has been given to you. Do you know that celebrating Christmas means that? Requiring you to swallow your pride and your self-reliance and self-sufficiency and surrendering control over to the Savior who says, you need me more than you need anything else. Without me, you perish, but I have come to you." you. Do you know, do you understand that celebrating Christmas means that? It means you receive this gift from heaven, the original Christmas gift from heaven. And therefore you sing, right? the songs you sing joy to the world the lord is come the the one who now can rule over me and reign over me and command me and be master over my life and commander of my life he has come joy let earth receive her assistant sidekick uh, emergency 911 spiritual call her king that's christmas what does that mean? It means I, I surrender my kingship, I, I surrender my throne. I come down from my autonomy, my independence, my individuality and I surrender everything before this king. That's implied that's what's implied in you receiving this king and receiving this light into your life. Have you received the king? Have you received this gift, this original? Christmas gift from your Heavenly Father. The the gift that is represented in the symbolic gifts that we give to one another. Did you know that that to to celebrate Christmas is to acknowledge and confess that you are a a sinner saved by grace alone and now ruled by the wonderful Counselor and Prince of Peace alone. And that That every gift we we give and receive is is really only a symbolism, uh, a glimpse of this gift from heaven. Did you know that? You know, I thought uh, for the longest time that the implication of me gifting good gifts, Christmas gifts to my children, implied uh, that I'm a good dad. I'm the kind of dad who gives good gifts, Christmas gifts to his children. And I thought that was the implication of giving good gifts to my wife. You know, this just implies that I'm a good husband. That's, the, that's what's embodied in my, my Christmas gift to my wife. And I've realized now that's not celebrating Christmas at all. That's actually antithetical to Christmas because that's celebrating me. How capable I am. How good I am. How strong. How kind I am. When the whole premise of the message of Christmas is that I'm out of shape, I'm weak, I'm helpless. I was I was using the symbols of Christmas to preach something that's antithetical to Christmas. You have to understand: as you gift Christmas gifts to your loved ones and you say Merry Christmas, what you what you should be really saying is this. That I am someone who believes that I'm so deeply flawed and sinful that nothing short of this baby born in a manger who grows up one day to die the death that I should have died is sufficient enough to save me. And yet my, my Father in heaven has given that gift to me. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And therefore, therefore, here's a gift that I hope will be a reminder to you of that gift. So Merry Christmas. Uh, that's that's receiving the light, that's receiving the King, and that's celebrating not just the symbols of Christmas and contradicting Christmas with it, but celebrating Christmas for what it really means. But you know what's also amazing about this uh, implication of receiving this gift is that as soon as you do that and you, you confess your helplessness and your, your hopelessness apart from God's grace, you then begin to place the burden of being your own savior and the savior of your loved ones, you begin to place that burden burden no longer on your shoulders but on his. The government shall be upon his shoulders. The the burden of um, bringing peace and comfort to your heart and to the heart of your loved ones in this very dark and broken world, that burden is, turns out uh, is not on and cannot be on uh, your grades, your career, your appearance, your material possessions. So you don't have to live like it depends on those things. Uh, you don't have to strive as if uh, that true peace and refuge and comfort you seek depends on how well you perform in the here and now. How recognized you are in the here and now, how advanced you are in your career, and how much money you earn, you you cannot shoulder this burden by these means. Instead, by placing that burden on the king, you can finally rest, rest in him. Uh, You're invited to place the burdens on the shoulders of this little child born in Bethlehem. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In these all the all the hope that greets all my fears, all my worries, all my anxieties, all my stress and all my sadness, all my frustrations in life, the hope that meets and confronts and addresses all those things are met in thee tonight, the child, a child born in the little town of Bethlehem. If, if this is the meaning of uh, receiving the light, then celebrating this light, celebrating Christmas, right, has to be much more than uh, indulging in the outward symbols of Christmas. It's got to be something more inside out, doesn't it? Right, the the cultural approaches, you know, uh, adorn the externals to the point that it, it kind of warms your spirit and it kind of produces somehow a cheer and, and Christmas spirit in you. When the the true biblical way of celebrating Christmas is. Uh, let every heart prepare him room. Uh, and then let heaven and nature sing. Right, The celebration has to begin from the inside and let that be manifested through your trees and ornaments and gifts and lights. It's not an outside-in celebration. It's inside-out celebration. And as you do that, as you celebrate him from the inside, then, then you, there's a true celebration of the peace He he really gives you on the inside, the true celebration of the comfort and assurance He gives you on the inside, the celebration of His control on the inside, so that it frees you from celebrating something else, some other alternative that falsely promises you this, this peace. No amount of Christmas presents will free you from your captivity to these false idols that seem to promise you peace, seem to promise you rest when they only demand more from you, only leave you empty. So if you want to really celebrate, again, not just the symbols of Christmas, but, but Christmas itself, you got you to gotta begin from the inside and celebrate inside out. And then you can also, from there, go a step even further and, and celebrate Christmas by... Helping others living in the dark to see the light that you've seen. Uh, you, we, we have this sort of holiday intuition, right? This inkling uh, in all of us to even go up to a stranger and say, Merry Christmas, right? You're, you meet a cashier, you meet a barista, and you, you have the intuition to say Merry Christmas, and I hope you do. But even that, right, is really a symbolism, if you think about it. Just that that the holiday greeting that you give to the stranger is a symbolism. For what? For how Christ entered into the lives of strangers to befriend them and adopt them into his family and to love them, even if that meant loving them in their darkness. So pray to God for the courage to go beyond uh, a simple greeting, Christmas greeting, but really enter in, really enter into the lives of of your neighbors or even a family member or a friend or a co-worker who, who, who is in the darkness, who needs the light. Go beyond the symbolism uh, to the actual celebration and, and tell them that t- to you a son is given. Uh, there is hope for you. There is a rescue. Um, you can rejoice. Even if that song sounds more like, you know, what we sang, Oh, Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it, for now it can sound like a lament. But you can ultimately rejoice because, because this king has come and he will return. That would be more than celebrating the symbols of Christmas, to celebrating Christmas. Uh, I'll close with this. You know, if a bride and groom were to prepare everything for a wedding ceremony, the venue and the fish the, and the musicians, the chairs, the tablecloths, down to the silverware but neglect to prepare their vows and say their vows. The, the actual thing that binds the two separate lives into one, that wouldn't be much of a wedding, would it? You can have all the externals of the wedding, but if you don't have the vows that unite the two people into one, you don't really have a wedding, do you? In the same way, if we had all the outward appearances of Christmas, that we had the trees and the ornaments and the lights and the gifts, and the, and the cookies, that's a part of Christmas for me. Uh, but in our hearts, we have made no vows to unite ourselves to the King. We're not really celebrating Christmas, are we? If in our hearts we have not committed ourselves and surrendered ourselves over to this light, this Lord, this child, we're celebrating the symbols but not the thing. In your heart, during this week, prepare Him room. In your heart, prepare Him room and receive Him as your King. Celebrate Christmas from the inside. Out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for this reminder uh, pointing us, in a sense, back to the darkness so that we would know why the light had to come. Uh, Lord, we, we, we do confess Uh, We have either swung from uh, looking too little at the darkness or looking too much at it, uh, too idealistic about it or too too pessimistic about it, and we haven't looked enough to the light that came into our darkness, to to say, I am with you in the darkness, but I'm not going to leave you there, but I will save you. I have saved you, and I will make all things new. Help us to hear him and um, acknowledge humbly our need of him and therefore receive him truly in our hearts to help us do this and therefore be able to celebrate christmas more meaningfully that we would prepare room in our hearts for him and and not as a partial dweller not as a guest not as uh, not as even just a mere friend but as a king uh, who commands every square inch of our lives and this universe uh, help him to receive this child this wonderful and powerful child as this King over us. We pray this in His wonderful and mighty name. Amen.